Welcome to Mandatory Happy, a podcast exploring the highs, lows, and horrors of romantic movies through the ages. I'm Ray. And I'm Renee. Today, we are discussing Can't Buy Me Love, where two people fall in love, whether they like it or not. So, um, before we get to the summary, is this a movie that you had seen before? I had seen it, um, like, I think the last time I saw it was probably in the 90s. Okay. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Was it everything you remembered and more? So, remember last week I said the only thing I remembered about it was the telescope? Yes. When she puts on the white suede outfit that belongs to her mother, I had, like, the sudden flashback of how much the wine scene had traumatized the shit out of me. Oh, totally. Okay. Uh. So, all right. I'll I'll have to... um, All right. So, here's... This is Can't Buy Me Love. Uh, if you need a refresher or if you've never seen it, it's it's basically, it's about uh, a really popular cheerleader named Cindy Mancini. Um, and she drives a convertible and she has an older boyfriend who's just left town to play football. And um, this is a side note, but astonishingly, she has a cardboard cutout of her boyfriend stuck to the back of her bedroom door, which I found really alarming. Anyway, um, <laughs> I mean, if he's a pro football player, you know, it's still weird. It's still weird. Anyway, so uh, also in the neighborhood is Ronald Miller, who is a nerdy but sweet, brainy dude who... Uh, played by Patrick Dempsey, by the way. Played by Patrick Dempsey. He's so young in this movie. Um, he mows lawns for money, including Cindy Mancini's lawn. And um, he wants to buy a telescope. And he... Uh, has a crew of nerds that he's friends with and he's the only one that longs to be popular like the rest of them are kind of comfortable with who they are um his best friend is named kenneth he's ginger and wears short shorts and uh, doesn't <laughs> care about being a cool kid and uh kenneth is the best um then one night uh as renee just mentioned cindy against her mother's wishes borrows this crazy white suede very expensive outfit and goes to a party wearing it and promptly has red wine thrown all over her Um, while she's at the mall having a a breakdown about how to get it fixed or how to get a replacement. Ronald is nearby looking at his telescope that he's been saving up months to buy and sees her in distress and goes over and basically says, look, I'll buy you a replacement outfit so your mom never finds out. Um, and in return, basically, you just, I need you to hang out with me for one month. Um, so all the, all the other cool kids will like me. And she's like, that's not a thing that's ever going to work. Um, but sure, by all means, buy me that outfit. So um, they start hanging out together in school. Ronald magically becomes um, super popular, partially because he took his glasses off, which, as we all know, in these movies is the key to being cool is removing his glasses glasses. off and started wearing the most ridiculous Southwestern themed outfits I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) I didn't know. um, I was quite surprised watching this to find out that, Oh, this is based in Tucson. Cause obviously when I'm watching this as a British kid, I have no idea. America is America. I don't know anything, but I was like, this explains so much about like a, his wardrobe and his bolo ties and um, his cactus neon light um and the fact that there's close-up of cactuses or is it cacti i forget um i think both are right so um yeah so basically he does become popular 
him and Cindy have, they stage a breakup. He turns into a total dick bag. Uh, Cindy, by the way, by the end of the month of them hanging out together, actually has real feelings for him because she can be herself around him. Um, but yeah, it's it's basically, it's an hour and a half movie all based around the question of like, if the cool kids jumped off a cliff, would you? Is the quickest right. way to summarize this. Um, so this movie was actually just not as bad as I expected it to be. I think it's a delight. <laughs> I was I was fully girded, like ready to just take what was accepted in the 80s and roll with it. But there mm-hmm. were some things I noticed that I actually really liked. Um, like when she gets wasted at the party, I started to get like tense, like, because how many 80s movies are about a girl gets wasted at a party and either a guy takes advantage of her and sleeps with her and we're supposed to believe that's okay, or a guy tries to take advantage of her and then, like, the hero of the movie saves her from it because it's not okay, even though it was okay in the other movie. But that doesn't happen at all. No. Um, She she gets drunk at this party at the end and um, exposes him for who he really is because by that point he's turned into a total sleaze bag and is like hooking up with all of Cindy's friends who are idiots um and really shallow uh you know the I like- only I think the only like decent human in this movie is Cindy which is weird right like it's supposed to be weird. Like the opposite yeah like she's the only good person here um but then it makes you go why is she hanging out with all of these dick bags I I feel like what I got from it was like she got caught up in wanting to be popular, not realizing that what she was aspiring to was like just doing what everyone else does. Because I feel like that's what she's really mad about in the end um, when she's mad at him and mad at her friends. Mm-hmm. It's not that they were kind of jerks or whatever, but it's like you decided this person was popular and now you will do whatever he says, whenever he says it, however he does it, like the anteater dance and stuff. And it made everybody, like people weren't mad at him for the lie as much as they were mad at themselves for falling for it. I feel right. Like. Right. I mean, I, I mean the, the, in terms of figuring out why she's friends with these people, I, the way that I justified it was proximity because she's head of the cheerleading squad Mm -hmm. or whatever so these are the people that are in her vicinity and the jocks are the people who are in her vicinity so and I think she doesn't realize how awful they are until you know like you said they all they all follow Ronald to the jocks credit um big John who's like the new quarterback I think right that is more detail than I was paying attention to (laughs) he's like he's the big blonde football Mm -hmm. player um, yeah. And I feel like he's like the most popular of the football players now that Cindy's boyfriend has left. But okay. Anyway, um, when Kenneth has the like the confrontation with the other jock that used to be friends with them before high school, um, Big John is the one that kind of leads the charge in like everyone appreciating that Kenneth and Ronald stood up to that guy. Yeah. Like he has his like he has his kind of tail between the legs. I fell for this um basically a scam. 
thing. But in the end, he's like, well, yeah, but like, I'm a better person than this guy who's like bringing a baseball bat over here to threaten somebody with. Right. <laughs> so, and I, and I did, I, this is now a gauge that I think about every time we do a movie, like, is this a movie that you would watch with your daughter? I did watch it with her. Cause I, again, like timing, you know, having time. Uh, I had, I thought, of... I thought there were some valuable lessons in there, but there's also some reasonably graphic, weird sex talk stuff. Um, and there's, uh, twice in the beginning, the little brother who's played by like a fetus, Seth Green, by the way. <laughs> oh my God, is that Seth Green? Yeah. <laughs> I thought he looked familiar. Oh my God. I thought he just looked familiar because I've seen this movie so many times. No, I took it like, it took me a good five minutes to go, oh my God, that is Seth Green. Holy shit. Um, but he, he throws out retard and tard. Yes. Really close together. And um, I'm like, oh, I don't even know if my kid has heard that word before. Right. Um, and then there were a couple times where I felt like I kind of had to redirect her. Yeah. It's like when when Cindy said to the whole party what was really going on, she's like, uh, now she owes Ronnie a thousand dollars. And I was like, well, that's not the lesson. That's like, not yes, the lesson. Technically, at all. she broke the contract. However, like, oh no. So, so we did, like, we had to talk through some things, but as far as watching it with her, I think that's fine because it brought that conversation up. Now, she'd like watched it at her on her own at a sleepover or something. I might yeah. be like, ooh, but yeah. I don't feel like eight year olds are watching 80s movies anymore. They're, well, they're when, watching the stuff was... that came out. When I was an eight-year-old watching this movie, um, I actually found it very stressful. Like the scene at the party that you previously mentioned where she gets drenched in wine, I was just, you feel such fear for her and how much trouble she's going to get in with him with her mother. And it's a fear that is impossible to experience now as an adult because you just don't <laughs> live like that anymore. So right. I remember that being stressful. I remember being stressed for Ronald because his parents are asking him like, where's your telescope? Did you buy the telescope that you've been saving up for, for months? And he can't, you know, he's just like, oh, I'm just going to wait till the next sale. That stressed me out. Um, watching it now is, is a lot easier than watching it when you're a small child. Um, yes, I agree. I was really like, <laughs> I was stressed out about the outfit only because I had forgotten, like I'd forgotten what the setup was, why it was that he, uh, oh. And so then she shows up in the outfit and I'm like, oh God, they like, she gets red wine poured all over that. Right. And, and I'm one of those people and I'm one of my best friends, uh, from when I lived in Joshua Tree is the same way. When something like that happens in a movie, it's just like, oh no, no, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like somebody spills something on the carpet or whatever. Like, I mean, cause I never had house parties. I didn't either. I was too scared. Exactly. I was too scared of like damage being done to stuff because it would have been, my God, my parents would have fucking lynched me. So here's, but here's what I did do. And it's so like ridiculous. So after I'd already moved out and I had my own place, um, my parents went away for like a week or something. And so they wanted me and my boyfriend at the time to house sit 
because they didn't want the dog to be left alone. Okay. And my friend from college came and stayed with us as well. And we're like, well, let's just have a few people over. And it turned into that thing from the movies where all of a sudden there's like 75 people in my parents' house that I yeah. don't even fucking know. And I'm like, yeah. what happened? And so we're like locking all of my parents' liquor in their bedroom. Because my parents don't drink. So, like, if you open their liquor, they are going to notice. Right. Because <laughs> the bottles are, like, sealed. Right. We're, like, locking liquor in the bedroom. And I'm, like, trying to keep people from dropping cigarette ash on the white carpet. I, it was so, I hated every moment of it. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Um, and, it, and it was never my intention. It wasn't like, let's throw a party. Because we had our own apartment. If we wanted to throw a party, we could have done that. Right. We were just like, oh, let's just invite a couple people over that we haven't seen in a while. And they were like, okay, I'm telling everyone in town. And I'm like, wait a minute. You wouldn't even have come to a party at my house in high school when this kind of behavior was acceptable. Like, <laughs> I mean, the, so. I, I think my parents actually trusted that me and my sisters would not ever have a party when they were away because we were all too, like, terrified. That's no fun. And anytime I watch this stuff happen in movies, I'm like... Uh, who volunteers their house for this? I know. I could, like, this is how terrified I was of getting in trouble. Like, I had friends who would, like, nab, like, two or three cigarettes from their parents and, like, bring them to school. And I'm just like, I would never, I would never take a cigarette from my mom's purse. No. You know what I just thought of? Actually, there was one party when I was growing up. I was 13. We... Me and my friends from school, a bunch of us were already like going to bars and drinking. Like we hadn't, we, that had been a recently, that had been a recent development. And um, one of them had this really big house, very, this is very American teen movie. She had this big house and she had a swimming pool, which in the UK is almost unheard of because it's too I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, crazy. But it was quite a big pool. Um so her dad had said, well, for your birthday, do you want to have, you know, a party in the evening in the back garden? And, you know, her parents were there, but they were inside. Only we went to like all of the bars that we usually went to on the weekends and just walked around and told everybody, like, there's this huge party tonight. This is where it is. Oh. And this party got so out of hand, but we were outside. So it was like, there was nothing to break. We were all in the pool, fully clothed. Everyone was wasted. like. That party was reasonably legendary. It got really out of hand. And um, in There's the a end... There's series on Netflix about this. <laughs> Have you seen that? No. Um, Michael C. Hall plays a British guy, which is weird. Um, but it's about his daughter goes missing after a crazy pool party in a <sighs> British backyard and somebody drowns in the pool and they try to cover it up and then there's all these... Oh, I have seen it. I have seen it. I have seen yeah. it. Yeah. It's, a one, it's called something one word safe I want to say but safe. It be yes wrong. it's safe it's actually yeah that's really great but um yeah you're sorry right. <laughs> uh we that's exactly the kind of vibe and I look back on it now and I'm like what the hell like the only reason it stopped wasn't the parents it stopped because the neighbors called the police oh my god yeah so that was cool <laughs> I think I, I had one party um Besides, like, I mean, I had, like, you know, four or five friends over at once, but, like, we roamed in groups anyway. Mm -hmm. 
the only time I had a party was my graduation party. And it was like in the daytime, it was all the family and, and adults. And then in the evening, um, I had, you know, friends from the local music scene playing um, with amps and stuff in the backyard. We had a huge backyard. Right. And friends over. And my neighbors called the police because we had the band playing. And we learned that day that my neighborhood had a 24-hour courtesy law. What? You couldn't be loud ever. Because it was like, they started calling the police. The sun hadn't even gone down yet. And we're like, what? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, so- the, um, the house that I last lived in in the UK, this is like 2007. Um, we threw a massive birthday party for me and like a, a couple of my friends' bands played in the kitchen. And I mean, this these were like tightly packed terraced houses in Wales. Um, and the, the, whenever we had bands play, they'd play in the kitchen. And uh, it got to the point where we just kind of made a hole in the back wall. This is how like messed up this house was. We made a hole in the back wall and the next door neighbours would just climb through the hole and, and just join <laughs> So, um, See, and that would have been fine. They were invited. That's one solution. You've got to you've got to be nice to your neighbors, and then they don't call the cops on you. So this is the insane part, though, because this was a totally dry, responsible party. My parents were just inside the house because wow. remember, in the U.S., you can't drink till you're 21 legally. Yeah, um, don't get me started <laughs> on that so nonsense. We left to go to a different person's house out in the country so that the bands could keep playing. Right. And between those two houses, one of my friends did a pit stop and like downed an entire handle of booze, drove out to the country, shit face drunk, and like fell out of his car and started vomiting. <gasps> oh my God. So because we had to move and leave, like just in that like short period of time where there was no adult supervision, the whole night took a turn and we're like freaking out. He's got like alcohol poisoning and he had to have his stomach pumped and shit. Holy shit. Yeah. So it's like, just let kids have a party in the backyard. Seriously? Yeah. Shout, like- <laughs> out, shout out to Leah Bergen's parents for letting her have that crazy pool party. Yeah. Oh, it was terrible. Um, so anyway, can't buy me love. <laughs> yeah. Back to there was this. no alcohol poisoning in this movie, which was good. <laughs> no, there was actually very little drinking in this movie very little drinking she drinks he drinks like the, when he's popular and he goes to the dance with somebody else after him and cindy have staged their breakup he takes a sip of like an airplane bottle of something and then throws the rest in a punch bowl he basically has like a mouthful before he um does the african anteater ritual that he's right. learned yes because he thinks he's watching american bandstand um and then Cindy, in the final party where she exposes him, has, is drinking straight vodka because she's really depressed. She's lost faith in her friends. She doesn't have him around anymore because he's turned into an asshole. Um, and her boyfriend is still completely MIA. Yeah, in a different she's, city. She's um, dating like the douchiest douchebag ever. Yeah. Too. So she's sad. So she drinks some vodka. You know, that's, that's really the only drinking in this. Yeah. And it's not presented is like a good thing no that she that she got shit-faced it's kind of like it happened like it's it's done without judgment i feel like a lot of movies will either like elevate it or like shake their finger at it where this is like you know what sometimes teenagers get drunk yeah 
And all the, I mean, the only thing is like somebody saying to her, Cindy, that's straight vodka. And she's like, I know. And that's it. And that's fine. That's as it should be. Right. Um, there is one moment when she is in the Porsche with the new guy. Mm-hmm. And he turns his head and he looks just like Killer Bob for just a second. <gasps> no. From yes. Twin Peaks. Yes. <laughs> I mean, he's got bad hair. He's got that sort of lanky yeah. hair. It was um, it was mostly the hair that did it, but I was like, ooh. Ooh. Well, yeah, I'm glad I didn't notice that. On his car. Get away. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think the only unfortunate thing is that at the very beginning when we're supposed to find Ronald quite endearing and a bit of a sweetheart, you know, and very thoughtful and polite, um, the way that he makes his proposition to Cindy is by saying I want to rent you which I I yeah. which took me aback I was like um no to the no. movie's credit her response was like 100% the correct response yes she was like you want to rent me no like yeah <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> yeah I feel like but I mean it, it's a strike against his character early on that he phrased it that way yes and I I like that and this because because I was kind of like man this premise is like so uncomfortable and squicky because like it's a huge problem that men feel entitled to women and if he's paying her then he's gonna feel like really entitled but Mm -hmm. that didn't happen like no and actually when she wants him to make a move on her he's so oblivious and thinks you know she's so out of his league he doesn't even notice right and and I feel like um yeah, he negotiates more time with her, but that comes from her, like, really not wanting to fulfill her end of the bargain. Right. Not, like, you have to do what I say because I paid you, but, like, right. come on, be reasonable. Like, we made an agreement. Yeah. Um, and the one thing, the one thing I didn't like, but I don't think you're supposed to have sympathy for him in this situation at all, is when they do break up, they talk about it first, and she's like, well, let's make it really, like relaxed and civil because you don't want to ruin your reputation but he gets so caught up in the idea that he has a reputation that he doesn't think about not embarrassing her and there are a couple moments yeah it feels like he's taking a little bit of joy in embarrassing her and Mm -hmm. like putting her in her place yeah because like now he has a little bit of power and and that was uncomfortable but again that's kind of the beginning of his descent into total asshole. But I also think it was supposed to be uncomfortable. It's like right. the moment you realize how far gone he is. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then Bobby just shows up at the end. Like this, yeah, that's weird. Bobby's Bobby, the, the long-lost boyfriend. boyfriend who hasn't been communicating with her at all, um, just like, shows up and then gets mad at her because he finds out that she's been hanging out with Ronald. Like it, It's like, well, dude, where have you been? Right. Like, they have phones in the 80s. They were landlines, but I feel like teenagers in America all had their own line, which is astonishing to me. Um, I don't know how common that really was in real life. I feel like it's I, in every movie. Even yeah. in Pretty in Pink. Pretty in Pink, they're dirt poor. She has her own line. Am I making yeah, that I just, up? No, you're not. But I think, I think it's like, well, it's just easier to shoot this movie if if the person has their own phone line and we don't have to ever worry about like people asking how they got through cuz like yeah. all my friends had to share like it was just a family phone 
we all just had a family phone. I feel like I had known like maybe one person out of all the friends I've ever had that had their own line. Okay, this is good to know because for in my mind, I'm like, we were so, <laughs> we're like underprivileged kids in the UK because we don't have our own phone line. <laughs> yeah, um, not only did we not have our own phone lines, our parents were like, get off the phone. Oh, all the time, constantly. <laughs> so... <laughs> what do you have to talk about for this long? What's wrong with you? Yes, that every day. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? Yes, yeah, so the phone, the phone conversation, the, when Ronald is going to the dance and he wants to watch American Bandstand uh, and he ends up watching the PBS African Anteater Ritual, um, he has to beg his little brother to change the channel on the TV. Right. And it brought, this brought back so many memories of my childhood where there's like, you have a television and you have to fight for control over it. Like, no VCR necessarily, even at that point. No, like, kids now, you YouTube it. You YouTube it at your leisure. You don't have to bolt out of bed at 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning and run downstairs and fight your brother for the remote so you can yeah. watch, like, a show that will teach you something. I had um, a, a really old um, dial run TV in my room for a while because I because I was a huge film nut and um my parents didn't like fighting with me over the tv Mm -hmm. because I was a jerk because I was a teenager um (laughs) teenagers are the worst yeah and then when I um when I graduated eighth grade my big present was one of those tvs that has a vcr built in so it's like this tiny little itty bitty thing but I was like the only person out of all my friends that could just like go and watch a movie in my room or like have friends over to watch a movie in the room because no one else had it, even though this thing was like not even 13 inches. (laughs) But that's, you know, but that is like super duper luxury. And actually going back as far as like 2005, um, I was super broke. I was sharing a room and we found all of our furniture and all of our stuff from the street. And one of the things we found was one of those little TVs with the VCR in it. And we loved it. And yeah. that was 2005. So we, yeah. I mean, my family, my dad's a construction worker, my stepdad. Um, and my mom worked seasonally for a tomato trucking company. So we did not have a lot of money. And I remember right. thinking it was so funny that like my friends that did have a lot of money would come to my house and just be blown away because I had a stereo and a TV with a VCR. Um, Amazing. And also my best, my best friend in high school, um, her parents bought her this. I mean, it's so quaint now with iPads (laughs) and everything. They bought her this, like put this teeny tiny handheld TV, like miniature, miniature TV. Like I, it's literally the only one of these I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, you must be super loaded if your parents got you that. So she could like watch stuff in the bath and on car journeys and stuff. I have never seen one in person, but I remember them being like a plot point in sitcoms where the dad would want to like sneakily watch the game during a wedding or something. Right. (laughs) And the thing is, her TV screen was probably significantly smaller and I remember it it was really bad 
it's you know, bad quality. Really, really bad quality, really pixelated. Um, but it was probably about the size of like a regular Android phone now, maybe even a little bit smaller. It was in terms of the screen. I mean, it was a lot chunkier right. than that, but um, like they're like Game Boys on steroids. Yeah, it's just kind of amazing, like watching these movies for like what time capsules they are. And also this one in particular, aside from his Southwestern fashion, which I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what that was about, but um. <laughs> I think it was their way of like trying to make him seem cool, but also he had to have like a nerdy. Ed- I don't know what that was, but anyway, um, the fashion in this movie uh, is pretty special. It, it is. It's pretty special. It's like peak eighties, and some of it's some of it's reasonable, and some of it's just like, oh dear God. Why well, like is that for happening? instance, that suede outfit is completely insane. <laughs> it's like a massive white suede leather jacket with tassels uh-huh. and those little, I don't know what they're called, but like the little silver things that the tassels go like get uh-huh. laced through and like a t- pencil skirt and uh-huh. then a suede bra. And that's a tassel suede bra. It's not even, it's like a bando bra with tassels on it made of suede. It's something else. But um, the thing that struck me about Cindy Mancini in this movie is she's a 17 year old girl who's sharing clothes with her mom and she really is dressing like my mother would in the 80s like in terms of like you know just sensible pants and silky tops and you know that ridiculous suede outfit they kind of dressed her like a 35 year old well her mom was like supposed to be like kind of cool she's supposed to be kind of cool but also very absent you know, you kind of feel bad for Cindy. She just has credit cards thrown at her. I think it was cool um, that her storyline involved her mom kind of realizing that she needed to, like, give up having the super fun lifestyle with the new boyfriend all the time and, like, yeah. actually stay home with Cindy and watch a movie. And mm-hmm. both of them being really happy to do that. And then um, her comment at the last party where it's like, oh, yeah, I asked my mom to borrow this and she let me. Because mm. <laughs> she learned her lesson about not yeah. just like. But, yeah, I don't know. It, it's funny, too, because, like, what is a thousand dollar outfit in the 80s in today's dollars? It's, it's crazy. It's completely <laughs> insane. Yes. Um, um, I might do some Googling for a second and figure this yeah, out. Yeah, because I kind of, I was looking at it and because $1,000 for a telescope seems insane. Like that's pretty cheap for the kind of thing that he's getting. Um, but uh, then for an outfit, I'm like, yeah. oh, that's really expensive. <laughs> okay, so $100 in 1987. Is this movie from 1987? It is, right? Yeah. Um, is $215 in 2017 money so you basically double it and add a bit Whew. so that suit was two thousand two hundred dollars or something mm, that's too much <laughs> it, it is it is too much yes um there's not even a shirt it's just a bra like <laughs> <laughs> um so the the one one thing that struck me towards the end of this is that the only, there are very, like, outside of Cindy Mancini, there are no 
interesting women in this at all. They're like floozies and just interested in being cool and interested yeah. in being cheerleaders. And um, I was like, where are the girl nerds? Like yeah. there should be an acknowledgement that girl nerds exist. And I find it strange that that's not a thing. Like, the I think if they made this movie now, one of the people in their little crew would have been female, but it's just, they were all boys, which I found really strange. Well, even if the, like, they had kind of segregated themselves by gender, which I feel like does happen with people who have, like, maybe security issues. Um, insecurity, I mean, not like... No, I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you would still see them, because you kind of saw everyone else, but you get, like, this sort of glimpse at, like, a, an unpopular girl is making fun of Ronald, but, like, that's only there for you to understand how far he has fallen and right. not for any other reason. Right. Um, I just would have liked, I just would have liked a girl nerd somewhere, you know? Yeah, because that is, you're like right. Because the they're kind of, they're a, kind a, of a one the note. heroes. His friends are. Like, they go through a lot of shit. Yeah. But they are continuously through the movie um, and they're presented as being like they're nope. fine. Yeah, they've done their they they've taken their hits or whatever, and they haven't compromised. Whereas, like you have that scene where Cindy is sitting with her two girlfriends, and they're making fun of Ronald's car, and she's like, "Well, I seem to remember some people I know getting very comfortable in that car." Right. Um. Which totally fair. But where are the girls that stayed true to themselves? Because Cindy didn't really stay true to herself. She had to come back around to it. Well, she also, you know, she, this whole process woke her up to something. But there are no cool girls in this. Like, girls that I could relate to. Because also, the, uh, the, the, my thinking along these lines started with, there's an awful lot of footage of all of the girls in this movie in their underwear or in skimpy clothes. And they all have these insane bodies that I thought as a child in the UK, this is just what American girls look like, um, which is reasonably comedic now that I think about it. But that's what was presented on TV. It was just like, well, all Americans are just really that slim and beautiful and tall and whatever. Um, There was no, there was no like normal representation, which I think probably happened a lot in the eighties outside of John Hughes movies. But, I don't know. It it was it was a little bit tough to watch at times because you're just like, where are the where are the like? I wanted one token weird girl somewhere or nerd or something. Like even just to have when they're showing oh how popular he's become and they show like everyone in the school, you really mm-hmm. don't see anybody any women that look like normal. No, and it would have been nice at the end if say because in one of the final scenes. Kenneth is helping one of the cheerleaders with her homework and that creates a problem in the cafeteria because whatever, he's, right. he's crossed the line into that area. Um, I was watching it and I was like, wouldn't this be so much cooler if like all of the nerd guys had like nerd girlfriends and they were all just like being happy in that way? Like, Yeah, and there even was a little bit of diversity is the wrong word because they were all white guys but super white oh my god this movie's so white and also when i noticed when ronald exits and becomes a popular kid they replace him with a black guy i didn't even catch that but you're right they they (laughs) replaced him with a black guy that was like the only 
hint of color in this in this whole thing. But there's differences like in their interests and in their like style of dress. It's not like they just stamped them. These are the nerds. Um, so yeah, like uh, again, like there's no reason there couldn't have been a girl that, you know, maybe it was a size six instead of a size two. Yeah, <laughs> like, that, I was settled <laughs> for that. That would have been fine. Um, yeah. So I mean, I'm I'm nitpicking, but uh, yeah, I mean, oh whatever. oh oh wait, the other nitpicky thing, um, when him and Cindy are like coming to the end of their month together. Uh, you know, the first time they go out, she complains because he doesn't have a car and so they have to take hers. And then what we see develop over the month as they get closer is that he just starts driving her car. Right. Like, why? It, I it was like, too. does she not mind that he's driving her car? Like that would bug two, the shit out of me. And why does he have to drive? I, I don't understand. Two things. In 1987, a convertible Volkswagen Cabriolet would have been the coolest fucking car anybody in high school had. Of course. So I don't believe that she would be mad that she had to take her car. No. Because, like, when you have a cool car, that's all you want to do. I've never had a cool car before now. I want to take my car everywhere. Like, well, I mean, um, I would be mad in that situation because I like to drink alcohol. I don't want to drive anywhere ever because I like alcohol. But aside but, from that, it doesn't make sense. But it was her attitude about it was just like, well, when someone picks me up, they pick me up in a car. Which yeah. I thought was like, okay, come on, you have a car. It's not like the night, it's like, you know, the night's over. Um, and then secondly, no, nobody drives my car. No. That was one of the, most, the biggest, like, changes in the quality of my life is when we went from having one car to two. Mm-hmm. Because now when I get my seat the way I like it, it just stays that way. Yes. that's. I mean, I have not owned a car in many, many, many years because of where I live. And um, so, but when, but the thing is, whenever I rent a car and take it somewhere, like I do thoroughly enjoy it. I enjoy like, I'm in control of the stereo. I'm going to drive as fast as I want. It's nice not being reliant on like schedules, train schedules, plane schedules, whatever. I'm super into it, but I don't get to do it all the time. I think if I had to do it all the time, I wouldn't be that thrilled. I don't know. I love, um, I mean, I live in the suburbs, so if I didn't have a car, I wouldn't go anywhere. It's true. So that's first and foremost, but I love having my own car. I feel like in some ways it's like, um, you know, when I was a kid, I actually had to share a room with my brother. We didn't live together full time. Um, but when he was at our house, we shared a room and I fucking hated it. (laughs) Like even when he wasn't there, because it's like, well, his shit's there, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, And I feel like having my own car is kind of that level. Yeah. Because we went so long having one car, because my husband rides a motorcycle. We had one car and the motorcycle, but then if it rained or he had to go to work really early or he had to, like, take stuff, then I didn't have a car anymore. Then the seat was all jacked up. And, like, if if the mess in the car is my mess, I'll clean the car. But when the mess in the car is someone else's mess, I'm like, ooh. Yeah, infuriating. So So, I don't know whether, you know, in the, there's a scene in Karate Kid where um, Mr. Miyagi, (laughs) really showing off my 80s skills now, (laughs) Mr. Miyagi gives um, Danielson a car, like this really beautiful old car for his birthday, just gives it to him. And um, 
he Daniel is out with Elizabeth Shue one night and she's just like oh my god this car's amazing and he lets her drive it mm-hmm. and she says are you sure and he's like yeah this is the 80s like this was the point where women started driving cars with men in the passenger seat is the implication of of that scene in Karate Kid so I- I'm like you know really can't buy me love should already be on that train like it's not emasculating for him to sit in the passenger seat while she drives. Yeah, it's especially because it's her car. It's her car. Like it's, it's her fucking car. car. Yeah, that stuff drives me insane. Like I'm like you in that. If I'm going out, I would love to be the passenger because I would like to drink and not worry mm-hmm. about it. And I won't drive after one drink. So, mm-hmm. nope. You know, um, my husband often drives when we go out because I'm spoiled and I'm the one that gets to drink. Yeah. But otherwise, I'm like, you could sit in the passenger seat. It's my car. Yeah. Um, but also, what's funny is I feel like some people are still sort of that way. And it really? always really trips me out when I see it. Because I was going to say this, this, pro- this provides us with an interesting relic of something that is just not done now. I see it in, well, see, remember, I live in a really conservative area. That's true. So there's a lot of people who are more traditional with scare quotes. Um, So I do see that a lot. And then also what was really funny is when my mom came, we were going, the Marine Corps has a ball every year. It was like a formal ceremony with a party afterwards. Mm -hmm. And um, drinking is I mean, it's the Marine Corps. Like, we get drunk. (laughs) So we were going to go, and we were going to take my car. And my mom was like, well, let me drive, um, and I'll drop you guys off, and then you guys can drink. And my stepdad said, well, that's probably good, because John wouldn't want to ride up to the ball in a Volkswagen bug. And I was like, one, my car is awesome. Yeah. And two... I would be driving it because it's my car. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Why do you feel weird about being a passenger in a really cute car? So when you say you see this still happening in your region, what kind of age range are we talking here? I would say probably inclusive of people in their late 20s, early 30s and on. Wow. Oh, you, okay. Like, you have to think, okay, this is a really red area. Like, it's so conservative. There, am yeah, I... but yeah, yeah, but here's the, here's the thing with red areas and conservatives. There's a lot of those ladies who are like gun-toting, don't-mess-with-me ladies who also might be interested in, in, you know, mechanics and things of that nature. There is a whole yeah, team but... of those women. I would say, even though, and I've, I've known couples like this, in other areas too, even in those couples, when they go somewhere together, dude drives. You know what? It's my parents are that way. Um, but that's because my dad genuinely loves driving and my mother's not bothered. Yeah. Which is different. You that's know, different. she'll drive. If he gets, if he gets too drunk at the pub and she's pretty sober, she'll drive him home. But my, uh, my best reference for how weirdly conservative and traditional this area is is our um real estate agent who actually we're still in contact with and I love her like her granddaughter is my kid's babysitter and 
whatever. She's a lovely lady. This is not meant to insult her. But she would always say things like, um, well, this is a really good Christian area. Or we asked her for a recommendation for someone to like mow the mow the lawn and watch the dogs while we were away. I'm like, oh, you should use this guy, this teenage boy. He's a good kid, comes from a good Christian family. And we're like, I don't care. That's like, not now I feel like if I say I don't religion. Care. So it, is it possible to be from a good Jewish family or do they have to be Christians? Because it sounds like they have to be Christians. I mean, I've never heard her say that. There is a synagogue in our area, but I have never met, I've never met, um, I've never met anybody who, like, around here, who's, like, super Jewish, or, like, they come from a good Jewish family, so you could trust them, or anything, um, well, that's like my point, Bible like, people just don't, people just don't say that, it's always, like, right. you have to be Christian, it's bullshit. I feel like the only time you hear somebody making a point of saying someone is Jewish is like trying to set Jewish people up with other Jewish people to date. It, I mean, it happens a lot more in New York just because it's New York. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I am. It's weird. Yeah. J date. It's that. Yeah, J date. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but that's like assumed, right? Yeah. If you're on J date. But yeah, it's just weird. It's a weird area. And I, you see a lot of these things that I'm like, so this is where all of these stereotypes come from. Like, this is where men and women, like, separate into different congregations at parties. This is where, uh, but to be fair, when I lived in Maryland, I lived in Silver Spring, which is like, from my balcony, I could see DC. And our friend group was like that. So Maybe that's a little bit more widespread and weird. But um, your friend group was like, what? What do you mean? Where, like, if you had a party, um, the men would be men together and the women would be women together. Yeah, okay. It yeah, was considered yeah. really weird if you didn't want to segregate. Right. Which I didn't. Ugh. I was like, I know. Like, this is weird to me. Yeah. I've never done I'm this. Boring. Before. Yeah. And all, and all the women in that friend group were moms too. Oh, kids, and I was like, I'm just, I don't, I'm in my early 20s and I don't have yeah. anything to add to this conversation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, but I, I mean, know. that's the unfortunate thing. If you are, if you are separating genders at gatherings, that the, those are the topics that are automatically going to come up, which is why it's important to keep everyone in the same room because then you don't get trapped in that. Right. Because, because, you'll start talking about whatever the most people have in common because you're not all there together because you know each other and like each other. You're all there together because your husbands know each other and like each other, which is, I don't know, it's so weird to me. But that but happens... I mean, it's, 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 this is very educational for me because I I didn't think this was a thing. I mean, I genuinely just didn't think this was a thing that still happened. I... Anywhere. Um, yeah, I mean, these... so. I, at first, I was about to say, I think it's because a lot of our friends are military, which tends to be more conservative, more traditional. Right. But that friend group was not military. They all worked at CompUSA. So. Oh, for God's sake. Well, I, don't, I don't know what CompUSA is, but. Oh, um, it doesn't exist anymore. It was like, what was better than Radio Shack when Radio Shack was still acceptable? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Circuit City. Do you know what Circuit City is? Uh, vaguely. I'm aware of its existence. 
Yeah, it was just like a bigger circuit city. It was like you go there to buy computers and... I actually yeah. used Radio Shack a couple of times. I did find they were useful for like odd chords here and there, you know, and not paying a yeah. fortune for them. There, there are times when I do miss Radio Shack. So shout out to Radio Shack. I'd ask you for a sponsorship, but you don't exist anymore. Yeah, I was just thinking the last time I paid attention to professional cycling, um, the team I really liked was Team Radio Shack. And I'm like, I wonder what they're called now. Oh, <laughs> maybe Comp USA. No, that's gone no. too. No, well, I think Comp USA went away before Radio Shack, actually. Um, anyway, don't know anything point about being it. that it doesn't like it doesn't seem to matter where I've been. It just sort of it's like a certain type of people. And I think, mm. it, it. you know what it is? I think it is usually it's in friend groups where um, what you have in common is not a social thing. So like what you have in common is your job. So all the guys work together or all the girls work together. And then the odd person of the other gender that works with them just gets lumped in with the opposite. I see what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 You could be a woman who works at CompUSA, but you would still be hanging out with the women at that thing because that's just how people did. Um, that's probably it. But out here, I don't know what the excuse is. I think it just is that idea of like, well, you are a married woman. So Chivalry. Chivalry is the, is the word most commonly fallen back on for weird patriarchal bullshit. Um, right, but that's got nothing to do with chivalry. I mean... Uh, well, of course not, but that would be the excuse. Well, it's chivalrous right. for him to drive. Yeah. It's like, it's not really because he's driving her car way too quickly and, you know screeching it's around the place like yes yes Ugh. so um, anyway um i feel like there are some valuable lessons in can't buy me love about you know not not just jumping off a cliff because your friends tell you to i have two things to add before we wrap up yes um one there's the scene where he's like about i don't even know i like they're making out and like they look like they're about to have sex in the bathroom when mm. when Cindy overhears him reciting her poem to this girl. Yes. Which, by the way, oh, my God. <laughs> Intellectual property theft and your creep and your douchebag. Come on, dude. But, um. Yeah, that scene, he's a real creep in that scene. He's really, like, cringeworthy, sleazebag, gross. And she is saying, will you respect me? Do you respect me? And I fucking hate that. Yeah, I hate that so much. Like, there's always this, this like undercurrent where, like, you're supposed to believe that girls who are sexually active are missing something, and they're like desperate to be respected or like to I don't know what. And I was just like, no, that's just not reality. Like, sure, I'm sure some people have an issue that they're not dealing with that drives them to like promiscuity but some people just like sex yes and they don't need anything out of it other than sex like they're teenagers their hormones are going crazy they're drinking like people have sex i mean i think it's just one of those things that and i do think this was a genuine thing that because of that very old-fashioned um 
patriarchal, completely bullshit notion that only men like sex and, and women just do it to be liked. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the idea is that men are always after it. And if you cave in, then, you know, you're asking to be used or something. So I do think Fair. there was probably a period where women had to go, hey, um, don't just do this and use me and then toss me aside because that's what you think this is going to be. Like, I, I don't know. The, I the feel like I would have that is, that. Will you respect me? If she had said, like, you know, we're not going to do this and then you get to treat me like crap afterwards or we're not going to do this and then... Yeah, you, you're right. You know, but she was, like, like begging, like... Oh, I just hated like the intonation and everything was just like. Well, also he's he's pressuring her. She's like, no, no, and just making out with him, and he keeps reaching up her skirt. Like he's yeah. being super rapey in that scene. So, uh, yeah. Patrick Dempsey, you cad. Um, <laughs> I mean, I remember watching this when I was a kid and not thinking that he was attractive in the least obviously because he starts off see like in the nerdy role but i watched it now and i was like oh <laughs> my first cutie pie my first two notes though the first two things i wrote down was choreographed by paula abdul because i <gasps> thought too. that was very 80s Me too. Um, oh my god i forgot about that yeah i was really <laughs> then, excited by that the second one oh my god is this movie why i always crush on nerdy guys Ah. I did see it in my formative years. Um, And the other, like, huge crush I had at that general time in my life was, um, because I watched this after it came out, um, was Seth Green in Glasses in It. And um, the guy who was, the like, the ringleader in Are You Afraid of the Dark? Dirty Guys with Glasses were my thing for a long time. And they still kind of are, even though my husband is, like, the opposite of that. Because, I, I mean, I don't feel like I have a type. But Nerdy Guys with Glasses is definitely one of my types. That's it not ever might be because of this movie. Although one of the nerds who was wearing, he had a really weird haircut, like that was kind of shaved on the sides, but kind of uneven. And he was wearing these huge, huge, like super 80s square glasses, like super nerdy. And I was like, you're basically Milo from The Descendants. <laughs> Milo was another huge crush I had all through like high school and onward. It's like that nerd, um, that nerd should be ruling everything. He's basically Milo. Like Milo does yeah. the science too. I gotta tell you though, um, I the first time I saw the descendants was actually like only like seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh and watching him come up with like gray hair and all that, that was a really that was facing my mortality. Oh, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, the first time I saw The Descendants was like 96, I want to say, like they'd reformed and they played in London and I drove over for that and it was a great show and I saw them a bunch of times around that period. But when I saw Descendants at Riot Fest two years ago, I had a similar, oh, he's gone gray. He I looks because I've seen him a few times since and I'm okay. like, you know. I kind I kind of think older guys are hot anyway, so who cares? But it was that that moment of like the first time I saw him in person, the first time I saw him perform, I was just like, oh wow. 
But the, the issue with this is that it's a jolt because they disappear for years on end and then they come back. So you don't, yeah. if it was happening in, in real time, I don't think it, we'd be even the least bit bothered. But because you go from one thing and then all of a sudden you see them right. 10 like, years later. The it's majority of the pictures that I was looking at of Milo were from the 80s. Like, of course. <laughs> when he was in his 20s. Yeah, exactly. You know? Um, yeah. So I had to like, I had to adjust. And now I'm fine. Now I still love him. I, I would still totally ask him to be my husband's brother husband. But that's not going to happen, so it's fine. Um, I mean, if you, if, if the, the equivalent is like, if you saw Henry Rollins in 1992, and then all of a sudden you went to see him now, you'd be like, oh my God, he looks so old. But it's like, no, Henry Rollins looks fucking great still. Yeah. Um, because we've watched him age in real time. Exactly. That's the difference. That's a perfect example because he yeah. was so pretty back then. And now he's just, he's like a dude and it's fine. Ah, but no, see, the, it's the opposite for me because back then I was like, who is this fucking meathead? Like, well, he was an asshole back then. He was also an asshole. But, um, <laughs> you know, I don't want your neck to be wider than your head. Like, I just, I don't want that in my life. And now he's like a really nice balance of everything. It's true. Like, he needed to get a little older and like have some body fat. And just chill out, you know? Relax a little bit. Stop kicking people in the face. Yeah. If you don't already follow the Instagram account, um, Henry and Heidi, I highly recommend it. I love, I I would never want to be Heidi, but I'm so glad that Heidi is Heidi. Oh, I want to be Heidi so bad. Like, (laughs) Well, I I want you to be Heidi because I want to go hang out with Henry Rollins. Yeah. We call him Uncle Hank in our house because he is Uncle Hank. Yeah, and um, Ava met him when she was like two years old, and it was adorable. He went Aww. all like gaga to her, and I was just like, "This is the best moment of my life." Like, yes, yes, it, it is. He, you know, just roll over and die now because it's never going to get better than that. Um, um, oh, and the other, the other thing I wanted to bring up before we go, there was a really unintentionally hilarious moment in this movie, and I have like. We have to talk about it. Okay. When him and Kenneth get in the fight in the arcade. It is yes. supposed to be kind of tense and emotional because his friend is like, go fuck yourself. But he doesn't say go fuck yourself. He just says over and over again, you shit on my house. You shit oh, on my see, house. I didn't think this was funny at all. I thought that was <sighs> a really like, powerful scene. I couldn't because he says it every time he says it, he says it with a different inflection. Yeah. So the first like two times he says it, I'm in it. I'm in the emotion of the scene. Like this sucks. Two best friends torn asunder. And then like the third or fourth time he said it, I was just like laughing. I couldn't. No, Renee. I couldn't. Ronald literally threw shit at Kenneth's house. I agree. That is the, the biggest diss possible in the entire world. So for Kenneth to be like, you shit on my house. Like he says it over and over again because he cannot I get it. believe it. I get it. But here's, the, I think here's why. Because what the fuck? Why are you shitting on people's houses? <laughs> it's the weirdest fucking prank. You can't do that and not have contact with shit. I know. It's, it's true. Who put it in the bag? Because it's a paper bag. It's not a plastic bag. It's a paper bag. It's just, you know, like the whole idea, it's like, it's not just that he's saying it. It's that what he's <laughs> saying is so ridiculous. And I understand that what he is saying is what happened, but it's so stupid. Like, so I would never are you going to tell friend. me 
in addition to the fact that not every teenager in America had their own landline in the 80s, are you also going to tell me that people didn't set fire to poop on other people's doorsteps? Was that not a thing? I, you know, I'm thinking back and there's a couple of people I went to high school that maybe they fucking did because they were fucking terrible people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were really into that whole mischief thing. So I'm not going to say it I doesn't mean, happen. But this isn't I, the only movie it's in, you know. I know. Well, and I feel like, you know, okay. So one of my best friends in the world to this day in high school was friends with me and also friends with two of the people I hate most. I was going to say, I can't say I hate them now because I don't fucking know them now. But the right. reason I don't know them now is because I actively was like, I never want to see you again. Right. Like, it was awkward at my friend's wedding to encounter the other friend. Oh, my God. I have, like, this, I have this exact same fucking setup. Yes, I understand. Yeah. Continue. And it's like he's the guy best friend and I'm the girl best friend. So, like, mm-hmm. we have to play nice at the wedding. But that is it. And, like, he'll want to tell me things about this guy. And I'm like, I don't want to fucking hear it. Yeah. Anyway, um, I believe that guy and his other friend totally would have shit in a bag and let it on fire um and we did stupid shit like, don't get me wrong like we did stupid shit we got into trouble we fucking did things we should not have done that i'm not even going to admit to on a podcast because i don't know what the statute of limitations is but shit come on well also the thing that strikes me and i mean i i deal with picking up poop all the time i have a dog and um if you get that in even the vaguest, like, closed space, like, inside the apartment, you instantly, even, like, tied in plastic, it reeks. So if you're in the back of the van, yep. as they are, with a bag of shit, like, mm-hmm. really? Who's getting punished here? My cat, my cat that passed away, he died because he had stomach cancer, or um, intestinal cancer. Mm. Um, and he shit everywhere all the time. It was uncontrollable. And, like, we, you know, we had everything in the house covered in sheets because the second that it happened, we would remove the sheets and wash it immediately because shit is terrible. Yeah. Nobody wants shit. Like, it's, uh, and that, I think, (laughs) is why it was funny to me because it's, like, this whole situation is absolutely absurd. There's a line, like, there's one thing to to do the thing that you wouldn't do to your friend because he's your friend. And then there's a totally different line, which is why would you do that thing at all to anyone ever? It's so stupid. And it makes you deal with shit yourself. Like you're okay. doing more to yourself. Yeah. No, I see house. that. But I did think that scene where they're having it out in the arcade was like, I thought it was very touching. When they are physically fighting, I was all like, you know, hold my breath. But it was like the third or fourth time. And he's, you shit on my house. And I was like, this is so fucking stupid. <laughs> I kind of want to make you a t-shirt with that written on. I would wear my it. House. You shit on my house. <laughs> That's going to be the first item in the mandatory happy store. <laughs> you shit on but, my house. Yeah. But yeah, and not, because, like, again, not because it's not a terrible thing to do to a person. It's just like, are you fucking joking? Yeah. Why did you shit on his house? How is this an argument two people are having? <laughs> so. Um, so I think the, the final thing we should leave people with is that if you have seen this movie, one of the more memorable scenes is the African anteater ritual um, yes. that everyone does at the school dance. I just want everyone to leave with the, with the, the knowledge 
that Paula Abdul invented it. Oh, my God. Yeah. I didn't even put two and two together, even though I just said she she totally made that up. Yes. Here's the thing. I feel like that was the straw that broke the camel's back for for Cindy. But I thought it was amazing. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty great. It's pretty great. Like, I, I wrote... In all caps, he owned the dance with science. Aww. Because his friends are like, hey, isn't that the African anteater ritual? (laughs) Um, I remember my sister going to a club. At some point, it was when everyone was, like, into Acid House and stuff. Uh Um, Which happened earlier, like, way earlier in the UK than it happened here. But um, she came home from this Acid House party, and she was like, I, they... Well, they kind of, everyone looks like they're doing the African anteater ritual. <laughs> and that's always how I thought of Acid House from that point. Uh, that's how I'm going to think about it forever now. Yeah. Um, I think that's it, though. I think we covered all the important things. I think so, too. Um, we, I'm gonna be, like, I'm so nervous about saying that we're on Overwatch again. Because that's a video game. <laughs> Why don't you just say, um... All of the things that begin with over, and one of them will be right. (laughs) It's overcast, like clouds, like the clouds that hang over you when you have no love in a romantic comedy, Mm -hmm. Um, like the clouds over John Cusack whenever he's on a payphone. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We are on Overcast. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. You can always stream us from our website, mandatoryhappy.com. Please remember to rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you are so inclined. It helps. And um, share the episodes and learn the African anteater dance because Paula Abdul would appreciate it. Mm -hmm.